Welcome back to the 2AM Book Review Club, where we stay up late talking about books or talk about books that made us stay up late. This week, we're continuing our Hot Book Summer mini-series, where I read books that have had a lot of hype this year, and I tell you whether or not they were worth both the hype and the months that I often had to wait to read them. And if I think that the books were not worth the hype, then instead I will provide a recommendation that has similar vibes or characters or themes or tropes that I feel were better executed and which will most likely be easier for you to read. So the first book that we discussed in this mini-series was Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, which is the book in this mini-series that I was most excited to read and which was probably most worth the hype for me. Just because not only did I really like it, it was also a pretty unexpected book in a lot of ways, which is always a plus. A lot of these other books that we're talking about are books that I kind of already knew what I was in for going in. So even when they were worth the hype, they weren't really worth the hype in surprising ways. But anyway, so the first book that we discussed was Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies, and I really, really enjoyed that book. Then last week, we discussed Romantic Comedy, which, okay, I was also really excited for that book, but ultimately, it was not worth the hype for me, and out of all the books in this mini-series, I'm going to say that it was the most disappointing. And now today, we are going to be discussing Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Before we proceed, I do need to issue my usual spoiler alert, my usual spoiler warning, spoilers ahead for Book Lovers by Emily Henry, so please don't listen if you don't want spoilers. Spoiler alert, spoiler warning, you have been warned. Now, this is not the very latest and most popular Emily Henry. That would be Happy Place. But as I've already explained, the very latest and most popular books are not easily accessible for me because I mostly read books through my library. I am still looking at a couple of months wait for Happy Place, although I have been on the wait list for months at this point. So I, I'm resigned myself to not being able to read this book until probably winter, which is fine, but it does mean that I am going to be talking about the Emily Henry book that at this point is very last year. 
But that's fine, like I said, because I did really enjoy Book Lovers. It obviously doesn't hurt that the title is applicable to me. I mean, obviously, why else would I be doing this? But I did enjoy it for more substantial reasons as well. So, Book Lovers is an enemies to lovers romance. It is the love story of Nora, who is a literary agent, and Charlie, who is an editor. And they are very high-powered, very professional, very competent people who work in the publishing industry in New York City. And in order to convey both the premise, the essence of the book, and what it's like to read this book, I'm going to read you the first page or so of the prologue. When books are your life, or in my case, your job, you get pretty good at guessing where a story is going. The tropes, the archetypes, the common plot twists all start to organize themselves into a catalog inside your brain, divided by category and genre. The husband is a killer. The nerd gets a makeover, and without her glasses, she's smoking hot. The guy gets the girl, or the other girl does. Someone explains a complicated scientific concept, and someone else says, Um, in English, please? The details may change from book to book, but there's nothing truly new under the sun. Take, for example, the small-town love story. The kind where a cynical hotshot from New York or Los Angeles gets shipped off to small-town USA to, like, run a family-owned Christmas tree farm out of business to make room for a soulless corporation. But while said city person is in town, things don't go to plan. Because, of course, the Christmas tree farm, or bakery, or whatever the hero's been sent to destroy, is owned and operated by someone ridiculously attractive and suitably available for wooing. Back in the city, the lead has a romantic partner. Someone ruthless who encourages him to do what he set out to do and ruin some lives in exchange for that big promotion. He fields calls from her, during which she interrupts him, barking heartless advice from the seat of her Peloton bike. You can tell she's evil because her hair is an unnatural blonde, slicked back a la Sharon Stone in Basic Instinct, and also... She hates Christmas decorations. As the hero spends more time with the charming baker slash seamstress slash tree farm person, things change for him. He learns the true meaning of life. He returns home, transformed by the love of a good woman. There, he asks his ice queen girlfriend to take a walk with him. She gapes, says something like, In these Manolos? It will be fun, he tells her. On the walk, he might ask her to look up at the stars. She snaps, You know I can't look up right now. I just got Botox. And then he realizes 
He can't go back to his old life. He doesn't want to. He ends his cold, unsatisfying relationship and proposes to his new sweetheart. Who needs dating? At this point, you find yourself screaming at the book. You don't even know her. What's her middle name, bitch? From across the room, your sister, Libby, hushes you, throws popcorn at your head without lifting her gaze from her own crinkly-covered library book. And that's why I'm running late to this lunch meeting. Because that's my life, the trope that governs my days, the archetype over which my details are superimposed. I'm the city person, not the one who meets the hot farmer, the other one. The uptight, manicured literary agent, reading manuscripts from atop her peloton while a serene beach scene screensaver drifts unnoticed across her computer screen. I'm the one who gets dumped. So, this snippet of the prologue encapsulates many of the things that I want to talk about when it comes to this book. First of all, the premise. As you may have gleaned from the excerpt, Nora has an unfortunate habit of getting dumped by her boyfriends because they invariably find themselves visiting charming small towns and being seduced by charming small town people. And because of this, Nora is convinced that she is never going to find a guy who will stay, she is never going to find true love, etc, etc. As you may have figured out by this point, this premise is very much inspired by the requisite evil city woman who appears in so many Hallmark movies. Second off, the voice coming through in this prologue really illustrates how well Emily Henry is able to execute the comedy part of romantic comedies. If you read a lot of rom-coms, then you know how often you end up feeling absolutely baffled that anyone, including the author, found it funny. But with book lovers, as you can see, there is a lot of satire, a lot of tongue-in-cheek moments, and this is pretty consistent throughout the story. Because the narrative maintains such an authoritative grasp on the story, this makes even the most emotional moments feel at least somewhat lighthearted in a way that to me feels very reminiscent of Jane Austen books. And given that this is supposed to be a rom-com, I do think that developing this very strong, very idiosyncratic, deeply cynical narrative voice is a really smart writing craft decision. And finally, speaking of the narrative voice, we need to talk about the character of Nora. Now, I love strong female characters. I love unlikable or at least somewhat unlikable characters and I love characters who have strongly developed personalities and thoughts and worldviews, which means that I absolutely appreciate the character of Nora 
And I loved getting to be inside her head for however many pages this book was. What I appreciated in particular about her character was just how strong her convictions were and just how much she refused to change to please the people around her. She loves living in the city. She wants to continue living in New York City. She doesn't want kids and she continues to be the highly competent professional that she is, even though it gets her labeled as cold-hearted. And I love this. I love that she knows who she is and what she wants and that she doesn't compromise on those things. This story isn't about her changing into someone who wants an idyllic life in the country with a house and a husband and two and a half kids. This story isn't about her changing into a nicer and more likable person. This story is about her learning that she deserves love just the way she is. There were so many things that I loved about this book and it definitely helped that I read it at a point in time when I was in a serious reading slump and this book pulled me right out of it. So I will forever be grateful to this book for that. And given my experience with this single book, I do think that Emily Henry is an author who is worth the hype and I'm very excited to read her other books. And in particular, I'm really excited to read Happy Place because it is a second chance romance, which is my favorite kind of romance. However, and this is where the criticism part of the review comes in, having said all of that, having admitted that I really enjoyed book lovers and do think that it was worth the hype, at the same time, there are a couple of things that I want to point out. Okay, first off, these protagonists, Charlie and Nora, are book people. They are book lovers. They work in the world of books. They love reading books, etc., etc. However, there is a point in the book where Nora describes Wuthering Heights as a romance. Okay. Now, I love Wuthering Heights, but it is not because it is a romance. Now, I don't really want to hold it against Nora because a lot of people classify Wuthering Heights as a romance, but I do feel like it reflects poor book judgment, poor book comprehension and analysis skills. Because the thing about Wuthering Heights is that it is not a romance in the sense that this is a love story between Catherine and Heathcliff that we should root for. It is very toxic and very codependent. And most of all, it's not about love. So I, as you can probably tell, I have written about this before. I think it was on my AP Lit exam that I wrote an entire essay about Wuthering Heights. Like I think that was one of the essays that I wrote for that exam. But Anyway, the point is, I do feel very strongly about this book, and I have thought about it a lot. And to me, Wuthering Heights is a story 
about self and your conception of self and your identity and your personhood and how all of that really pushes against the boundaries of society. If you are fully yourself, as Heathcliff is, then you are not going to fit in society, particularly the repressive society, societal context in which the Bronte sisters were writing. And what makes Wuthering Heights such a compelling, such a compelling story for me personally is how much Catherine struggles with fitting into this mold that she is supposed to fit into, right? This mold of being the wife and mother that she is supposed to be. But in reality, what she wants, who she really is, is Heathcliff. We all have a Heathcliff inside of ourselves that yearns to push past what is allowed by society, what is expected of us. There is a part of us and a part of Catherine that yearns to be Heathcliff. That is why Catherine says, I am Heathcliff, not so much because of the romantic, like, I love him so much. What she's saying is that fundamentally who she is, is not who she is expected to be. Who she fundamentally is, is the person that Heathcliff is allowed to be. But because she is a woman, she can't actually be Heathcliff. And that for me is the tragedy of the book. That for me is why I personally love Wuthering Heights and why I care about it so much. And it just frustrates me to no end whenever I see people talk about it as a romance because it's not like that's not what the book is about. Like sure, Kathy and Heathcliff, they love each other, but that's not the point of the story. That's not why it's such a good book. Like if it were a romance, it would be a terrible romance. It would be a terrible love story. But the point is, that's not what the book is about. Does that make sense? Anyway, so for people who are super immersed in the world of books and are like book experts, I just don't think that's a very good take. But also, there is another aspect of this book that I didn't really like. And what I'm going to say next is adapted from a Substack post that I wrote a couple of months back called Literary Families I'm Glad I Wasn't Born Into. And I will be linking that post in the description if you want to read it. Basically, it's about book lovers, but also another book that I read around the same time called One Italian Summer. So if you're interested, you can check it out in the description. Anyway, my other issue with book lovers is that I don't hate Nora, but I would certainly hate to be her sister. As I discussed in a previous podcast episode entitled Strong Women Suffering, Nora, like many strong women, has a tragic backstory. She, her struggling single mother, and her sister Libby were a close-knit family until her mother's untimely death. And as a result, Nora feels responsible for Libby's well-being and happiness. 
Now, I am myself an older sibling, and I have been told by other people that I'm probably closer to my younger sibling than is common. I know that a lot of siblings don't really get along. I do get along with my sibling. And I have, from time to time, taken on a parental adjacent role in my younger sibling's life because we have quite a bit of age difference between us. So what I'm trying to say is that I am familiar with the type of pressure that Nora feels to be protective of Libby and to look after her. But... From my perspective, okay, this is just my opinion, but the extent to which Nora feels the need to control Libby's life goes beyond feeling responsible for your sibling and heads straight into red flag territory. Now, I do admit that I am occasionally guilty of trying to control my younger sibling, and I do think that it comes with the territory to an extent when you are an older sibling, but what I am talking about when I say that I have tried to exert control over my younger sibling, what I mean by that is things like laundry and cleaning your room making your bed, having better time management, getting more sleep, you know, mundane things, the kind of situations where I feel like I can be a good influence or where I feel like my input might be stored away in the same corner of my mind where I stash all the parental advice that I have never used. And my issue with Nora is that that's not what she's doing. She's not telling Libby, oh, hey, maybe you should take it easy sometimes since you've got three kids. Maybe I can come help you out sometime since you're feeling really stressed. No. The thing about Nora is that she wants control over everything in Libby's life. So at the beginning of the book, Libby is facing financial difficulties due to, as I've already mentioned, having three kids, living exclusively on her husband's salary, and living in New York City. And because they live in New York City, rent is one of the biggest expenses that they have to worry about. So Nora decides that she's going to help Libby out by searching for less expensive apartments, which is fine. Like, so far, so good. That is definitely the kind of thing that I would also do for my younger sibling. However, when it turns out that Charlie has a rent-controlled apartment that he might be moving out of soon, Nora makes a deal with him. If Nora wins the deal then Libby's family gets to move into Charlie's apartment. And what's so strange about this is that Nora makes this deal without telling Libby about any of it. She doesn't mention, oh, hey, like, would you be interested in moving into this apartment? If so, then I might be able to arrange it for you. I'm not saying that Nora needs to tell Libby about this silly little deal that she's got going on, but I feel like she could have at least mentioned the apartment. Because the thing is, I mean, Libby and her family do need to find somewhere less expensive, but 
they might still like some kind of say in where they end up living or, you know, what kind of apartment they end up moving moving to. I mean, most people in my experience tend to be picky about little decisions like where they want to move to. I don't know. Personally, I just found it a little strange because the thing is, the implication is less of, well, if I win the the deal, then Libby has the option to move in. And it's much more like, if I win the deal, then Libby and her family are definitely moving in. And I just found that kind of strange. I mean, I'm sure it's like a nice apartment and all, but still, you probably want to bring it up first and be like, so is this something that you would be interested in? Because I don't know, maybe that's not somewhere they want to move to. Maybe the apartment isn't something that they're interested in. You know what I mean? It just, to me, ends up feeling really controlling. And at this point, you may be like, well, this is kind of mild. This is maybe even a little bit nitpicky. I mean, Nora didn't tell Libby about this deal, sure, but, you know, it's not like Libby is going to be forced to move in, right? Like, Nora is just trying to be nice and supportive. And if that is what you are thinking, then you have clearly not read this book. So, at the climax of the book, during the emotional crisis in the third act breakup, not only do Charlie and Nora break up, but even worse, Libby drops the news that her family is moving out of New York City and going to this small town. And Nora is devastated. Not only is she devastated, but she actively feels betrayed. And I think that word is used in the book. Because how dare Libby move with her family? How dare she have her own life? And this was the point in the book where I had to re-examine the entirety of Libby and Nora's relationship because what? Now, it's pretty clear that Libby is very aware of how protective Nora is because there's a point where Libby is like, you don't need to act like my parent. But the thing is, I'm pretty sure most well-adjusted parents don't feel betrayed at the prospect of their adult children moving to a different city. It's not like my parents freaked out when I told them, oh, hey, I'm going to college. They were like, yes, good. We we want you to do that, you know, make something of your life. They were like, how dare you leave? We are devastated. We are betrayed. And even close-knit siblings don't break down at the idea of their sibling moving away. I mean, sure, if I had lived my entire adult life with my sibling in the same city and I got to see them all the time and then suddenly they were like, well, I'm moving away. I I would maybe be sad about that, but I wouldn't feel betrayed. I wouldn't feel devastated. I mean, most of the time, like these days, me and my sibling, we live very far apart 
And you don't see me crying about that because the thing is, that's just life. That's how life works. You you know what I mean? Like we aren't living in the 1800s anymore. People move around all the time. It's just kind of a thing that happens. And I know that Nora's behavior could partially, at least, be explained by the codependent relationship that she had with her mother, which in turn caused Nora to be parentified into this overprotective, controlling sister. While I understand that that's probably the psychological explanation for what is going on with her, it still doesn't help this sibling relationship feel any less claustrophobic. And the thing is, right, I am happy, like really happy, that female protagonists in romance are now allowed to develop deep relationships with people other than their love interests. I just feel like there is a way that you can do that without creating this codependent familial mess that is the sibling relationship in book lovers. Over the course of the book, I just kept feeling sorrier and sorrier for Libby because Nora is just so overbearing and so controlling and so sure that she knows what what's going on with Libby, everything that's going on in her life, and Nora is just so sure that she always knows what's best for her sister, and I was just left feeling like, that's not very emotionally mature of you. Maybe you need to work on that. I'm all for being close with your siblings, but I'm also all for being okay when your adult sibling says, oh, hey, I'm moving somewhere else. I didn't really like that Nora was given so much grace when Libby didn't do anything wrong. Like, it's Nora who should be experiencing character development and character growth and learning to be okay with giving Libby some space and some independence, but instead it just felt much more like Libby couldn't really talk to Nora about it, hence why, you know, Libby kind of hid this decision from Nora throughout the entire book. And then it was still on Libby at the end of the day to calm Nora down and be like, hey, it's gonna be okay. It was up to Libby to be the mature, responsible adult in the situation. And I don't know, I just felt really bad for her because I just don't feel like that's the kind of situation that an older sibling should be placing their younger sibling in. I didn't really like how much was excused for Nora just because she's the protagonist and it's her story and all of that. And at the end of the day, I do feel like if that was going to be a main focus of the book, then it should have been given more page space. We should have been given a lot more time for Nora to develop a more healthy sibling relationship. And overall, it really 
wasn't an aspect of the book that I enjoyed. So there we go. Those are all of my thoughts on Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Overall, it was definitely worth the hype for me. It was one of my favorite romances I've read so far this year, and I am now super excited to read her other books. I know that I spent quite a lot of time talking about the things that I didn't like, but... I kind of just wanted somewhere to talk about those things, kind of a space where I could air out these thoughts that I've had for a while on this book. And overall, I mean, I did really enjoy it and I do definitely encourage you to read it if this type of rom-com is up your alley. I would also rate it as a staying up until 2am book. It's well paced, the story moves along quickly, and the climax of this book in particular is very comprehensive in terms of blowing up Nora's entire life. So by the time you reach that point, I feel like it's difficult to just step away and take a break and you just want to finish the entire book. So congrats to book lovers for being certified as a staying up until 2am book. All right, so those are all of my thoughts on book lovers. That is going to be everything for this week. This has been the 2AM Book Review Club. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll be back next week at 2AM. Until then, have a great week and happy book travels. (laughs) 